Hello, my dear Lara, and welcome to the inaugural voyage of On Record Off The Cuff album reviews. Tonight, we will be talking about The Wonder Stuff's first album, Eight Legged Groove Machine. And with me this evening, I have Martin. Hello. And Ian Grin. Hello. Uh, my name's Paddy, and I guess I'll kick off then. So, the first, the first of the Stuffies albums. Uh, I remember hearing this album, and it had a real, a real profound effect on me. The first, particularly in a similar way to my very, very favourite musician in the world. The, the first album, uh, sorry, the first track on this album hit me something like a ton of bricks. And I think Bedbury Joytown felt like one of the catchiest things literally I'd ever, ever heard. Um, like, like a lot of the bands that I get into, uh, I was fairly late to the party. Half the bands I ever get into um, tend to have split up by that point. So I'm usually really, really upset when I go and look them up and realise that there's no, no opportunity to see them live and no more new material other than that which exists in terms of more albums. So um, with this, uh, at least I had four to go, I guess. Um, and yeah, it took me by storm somewhat. A brilliant, brilliant pop album. It sits in quite an interesting place sonically for me, uh, being sort of upbeat. Everybody isn't crying about their girlfriend in minor keys. There's actually a sort of a nice major feel for, for the most part and lots of sort of positivity, upbeat uh, lyrics, melodies uh, and things like that. It's um, a great banging little album from a, a much underrated British band who should have been much, much bigger in my opinion. Um, anyway, uh, I'll hand over to Martin to give us uh, his you know, views about the album. First, I saw the band on Snub TV, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a geek. When I hear a band, I never go by the single that I've heard. I straight away go by the album because I thought, if I like that song, I'm going to like everything they do. And like you say, Paddy, from <laughs> point one of the album, it just hit me. Uh, because I play drums, the, 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 what really got me, as well as the catchy songs, was the drumming style really pulled me in. I'd not heard anyone play those kind of rat tat tat kind of uh, movements, and it just really, really kind of drew me in. And I've never got out of the rat hole that it took me into. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um... Yeah, I, th I, I think it's for me, it's one of those albums that you come across from time to time where you just listen to the entire album and go, well, that was good and, <laughs> and stick it on again. There's, I remember listening to it the first time. There wasn't really a, a Duff song on it. And I, I must have listened to it. So it came out sort of summer 88. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and I think I'd have first heard it somewhere around November that year. And at the time, I was mostly listening to lots of heavy metal heavy rock punk as well as kind of folk and country western i remember a mate played me this uh he had it on his his walkman and i had a listen and i don't even know what track it was he played and i there was just something about it instantly that that i liked but i didn't know what it was i didn't know what what the music was i saw a picture of miles hunt with a um a shirt with all the, the kind of acid smiley faces on you know, and this is at the height of of the the first wave of of kind of house music and and the the acid movement. And I really I didn't know what it was. I did, well, this isn't heavy metal. This isn't um, <laughs> uh, punk. What 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 is it? Of course, it's you know it's aspects of all of those those things. 
and and pop didn't really seem right. I don't so I didn't know what it was, but I absolutely loved it. And I've always been a sucker for a for a hook line and a sing along chorus. And uh, I guess the songs in this have all got sing along choruses and sing along verses and sing along mid eights and and little weird sing along bits that come all over the place. And as a, a guitarist at the time, um, and as as you know, I I consider myself a rhythm guitarist <laughs> i've never gone near near lead i love the fact that there's no bloody guitar solos on it um all the all the breaks are either instrumentals or they're kind of kind of riffy kind of turnarounds and, and what have you and i thought oh my god that's great they've got a whole album there's like 14 songs on and no no solos absolutely no i couldn't agree more i wanted to pick on a couple of things that you both said there but no i agree completely and it's it's when it's all about when it's all about the whole thing, because the thing about, uh, well, this sort of feeds as well a little bit into what Martin was saying uh, about the drumming. And for me, Martin Gilks always sounds fairly unique. And yeah. he did he did a lot of things that, again, I can't, I can't articulate them from a technical perspective as I, I am only a poor guitarist also. <laughs> and no, no, no drum god like our friend Martin here. But I'm like, yeah, I was listening to things I'd never heard before in the context of putting a song together. So you have this really, really solid and obviously very adept drummer. And the, but the rest of the guys, this is absolutely not disparaging, are doing nothing massively spectacular, but the sum of the parts is absolutely stunning. And yeah. it's funny, I, I, you know, as a player, you always think to yourself, I'd, I'd give up X amount of technical ability to be able to write a song, you know, song after song after song of this quality because that is the thing that's special to me. It's and, the songwriting and, and the arrangement. They get the most out of every idea by putting it in the right place. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So essentially, uh, some of the points, uh, some of the parts, should I say, is off the, uh, off the scale a little bit, I think, for the Groove Machine. Um, any, anything else you want to say particularly about uh, about Gilksy Martin in terms of with your sort of from your drummer perspective? Because I always thought it was mega mega. Yeah, special. I mean the fact it was called the Groove Controller was uh, no, it was no <laughs> kind of accident. Because he, 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 I've never seen anyone play those kind of chopped up kind of sections and really racking it and obviously you know I tried to uh, should we say. Uh, do an homage to him, you know, at times, but give up because no one can do what that man did. And the songs, like you say, there's such great melodies there, but it's the kind of, the way the drums sometimes go against what the the rhythms are doing, and yet it sounds so cohesive and so bolted together that it's so exciting. And... You know, he's someone who, you know, when he passed away, was a great loss as a musician because no one could do what he did. And, you know, no matter how many times they've tried to get someone involved, brilliant drummers though they may be, they ain't guilty. It, 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 that's so true. I, having, having heard various um, very, various lineups of the Wonder Stuff and heard them live with, with Gilks himself, it, people, can, people can play stuff, but... Again, the groove is mm. different. The the subtleties are different, and therefore the whole thing is different. And again, not in any way. I'm not being particularly detrimental to anybody at all. But yeah, no, it was special. Yeah. It was special. It could it could move left of centre of a straight four, mm. but 
but he, he was just over to the left a little bit. But it, it was still consist, consistent and cohesive enough to maintain the, the you know that that drive and and that consistency throughout the song. But um, no, absolutely love uh, absolutely love Martin Gilks. I think perhaps of all the Stuffy's albums, for me this not intentionally in any way, but I, I hear him and his uniqueness yeah. a little a little bit more on this album than the others. So that that's kind of a, a nice thing, I think. Yeah, well at first albums from bands tend to be largely based on stuff they've been gigging for some time. So Absolutely. so material tends to be road tested. And as you know, you know, if you record an album then they take it out. By the time you've you've toured it a bit, you think, oh I wish I'd recorded that bit like <laughs> that because you've kind of grown <laughs> into the song. And I, I think that the, those kind of stylistic pieces and the, and the kind of grooves have got a bit more time to develop that's probably why i i, I don't know the history of uh, of hup and whether they kind of wrote it in a shorter period of, uh, of of time or what have you but it doesn't surprise me that you get more character coming through on a on a first mm. album and we should probably talk about bass thing at the same time with a, a similar kind of kind of um uh, notion because obviously the rhythm section mm. drums and bass tend to lock in together and here you've kind of got drums and bass <laughs> perfectly complementing each other but very much doing their their own thing but somehow it does sound, still sounds like like a unit yeah yeah i think i think it meant again bass thing was probably of the combinations that we've had although i don't know um yeah, we could we could rabbit hole that for a time so we could yeah whatever Whenever I start making sounds like, oh, well, oh, then it's time to probably move things on a little bit. Um, let's let's go through track by track then, and obviously start with the uh, Redbury Joy Town, which is uh, oh, banging opener for me, absolute banging opener, gig starter, yeah. belting moderate rock pop. Interesting what you said, Ian. But oh yeah, what an opener! Go on. Somebody else crack on with this a bit. Well, for me, you know, it's a case of four count in, everybody's in. Straight away, you've got that guitar really, really warming it up. And it just takes you to a place where you just feel, okay, this is inclusive and it's 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 joyful, if you pardon the obvious pun from the title. It just takes you to that joyful place. Yeah, because you've got the leader, and then it's the dum dum dum, and it's basically the, the whole song says, "Right, get ready. This is we're going for it. Here's the rhythm. Let's go." Like so, and and so yeah, a cracking one to open the album, and uh, I, I think pretty much most of the gigs I've seen they've, they've opened with that. Is that is that their regular? So I guess if they're doing an album tour, um, they might uh, might do mm. other things, but yeah, I've certainly seen them open with that a lot, and it it is. It goes right here we go, <laughs> which is exactly what's supposed to on the album there is something slightly annoys me at the beginning it's the the spoken word sample i don't know what it is have you got anyone got any ideas no it sounds like you're saying um here's the things that's green to me or i i, I don't know what it is it, it sounds like john hurt i i've absolutely no idea and it's driving me nuts that i can't can't work it out and and I've trolled the internet, and no one seems to uh, be commenting <laughs> on what it is. And it's it's from those days before um, uh, lawyers got particularly litigious in sampling. So loads of stuff went on there and just went under the radar. Yeah. No, I always I always like the fact that they use samples, though, sort of as little little entree intros and things they did in 
they didn't use them excessively to any yeah. degree. I think they they honed that a little bit better by the time they got to Hook, possibly. But yeah, there are some interesting uh, interesting bits and pieces on this album. I think the other, the other thing that that um, I think about Redbury Joy Town, which I think uh, was kind of epitomised in what you said, Martin, was the word joy. It is it is upbeat in a positive way. It's not. It doesn't feel angry. It doesn't feel mournful. It doesn't feel any of those things. It's um, yeah, it's celebratory and it's up. And I think that that sets a lot. Well, no, there are, there are a few different kinds of songs, but I think that sets the sort of larger tone for the album. The other thing, particularly, um, that draws me to this song is the the harmonies in it, because it was a time where yeah. you yeah. say some of the indie rock kind of bands were frightened of having good vocals. You know, you had to you had to be a rocker, and the harmonies in that particular song, you're not expecting to hear them. When you look at the band, you're not expecting mm. to hear those wonderful harmonies come out, and that's what that. It does at times sound like there's there's more people in the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, well, I think we can all agree, absolutely, uh, absolutely banging, banging. Uh, and the other thing is, it's it, it's under well under three minutes long and it doesn't sound short doesn't outstay its welcome but it doesn't sound like a short song that, that's a really good point um yeah none of these songs are, are uh, particularly lengthy which in fact yeah they're all i think pretty much all under three minutes aren't they that's why a lot of it i, I use the word pop perhaps a little bit more than a lot of people sometimes because mm. uh, i'm a bit of a, a pop sensibility ob- obsessive in, in amongst other um sort of more prolific genres i always feel that the 10 percent of pop is the bit i always usually latch onto yeah um but i think the stuff is effortlessly played with pop and so connotation wise i think again pop pop to a large degree is that is the is the door you want to be going through because pop's the one that means that your song relates getting a hook getting a line getting something that yeah. people can really really relate to um, it's the X factor, I think, a little bit more than certain things, and they do it with a plum. And it passes the old grey whistle test because you hear it, and yeah. straight away you just got that melody in your head, and you can't get it out until the next song starts, yeah, and yeah. that does the same. <laughs> the swines. Lo- lovely little segue, man. I love little segue. Effortless. So yeah, so you so you've got this upbeat intro rocker. And then, essentially, it, it it actually ratchets up ratchets up a gear and puts the the pedal to the metal, as it were, with the uh, quicker no for the thirteenth time. Um, well, what can you say about this? Kind of um, wonder how to articulate best. I don't know. There's a little, I think there's a little bit more sort of swing going on with this, even though it's even though it's faster, a lot more attack. Um, Love that little little guitar intro before you sort of get machine gunned down uh, by by Gilksy. Um I know, well, little, little, little bit of secrets here for the listener. Martin and myself have played this live a, a few times between us. I have to say, this is one of the ones that I love to play the most because there's some absolutely gorgeous little stops as well uh, in terms of dynamics. Um, very, very nice in, in that context. Um, so go on then, no for the 13th time. Well, I th- I think that it does. I mean, it rockets along. It doesn't seem too fast, though. It, it, I think if you take a snippet uh, 
out of context and listen to it, you'd think, boy, that's fast. But it doesn't doesn't seem that listened to. I think because the lyrics are so well enunciated, even though they're coming quite quickly, it's not like you get, uh, there's a lot of fast songs you get where you start to lose what the lyrics are actually saying because they're just trying to get them out there. And so, you know, some of the lyrics, they, they kind of slow the the perceived pace uh, a, a little bit, especially in the um, uh, the verses. And then, of course, the chorus is dead easy because it's, it's 13 repeats of a single syllable. Um, <laughs> and you know what it is anyway, so so that's, that's you know, it's not going to be a problem. That's a really good point, Ian, because yeah, yeah. I'd never actually thought about it that way. But now I've, now you mentioned it, you're, you're quite right. The fact that the whole of this album, the lyrics are so clear. It's an album you don't need the lyric sheet for because you can hear what's being said. And so when it comes yeah. to listen to it for the 13th time, you're singing along because you picked up on it. But for me, this is a song that really is Giltz's tour de force because of, like you said, there's those dynamics where it breaks up and it's 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 a bugger to play. It's fantastic to listen to because it, it's going on like, like, like a machine gun and then you do get those machine guns taking you back into the verses. And it's a song that, like Paddy says, I never tire of trying to sing and listening to it because <laughs> it is it is it's it sounds really fast. A bit like you know, some of the Ramon songs, if you hear it, you think, God, that's really fast, mm. but it's not. When you hear it again, you think, ah, it's that effect that makes you think it's fast because of the doubling up of, of the snares, particularly. Yep. Anyway, enough drum talk. Over to you, buddy. <laughs> oh, okay. well. Well, I was going to do the, the other thing I like is uh, the breakdown towards the end, which uses a sort of a, a, a general band motif, something that they do quite a lot, which is like the muted guitars and the drums. Yeah. So essentially you get a, a rhythmic section. And I absolutely love that kind of thing, you know, muted guitar <laughs> on top of what's going on. And uh, then you have like the dual, the dual vocals. They're not quite, not quite, not quite. And, I can't remember the line that goes that complements it off the top of my head, but that's that's really clever dynamics. I mean, that yeah. is not not to be messed with. Clever dynamics, and I think it kind of goes back to possibly what um, Ian said about you know a first album is something that is born, uh, gestates, and evolves on on the on the road. And you could imagine them sort of experimenting with these with it. Oh, well, we'll do a we'll do a rhythmic breakdown, and then if we do some. Um, question answer vocal thing over the top of it and so so you basically work out this this holistic ensemble rhythm for eight to sixteen bars. I just think it's it really, really impressive is stuff like that. It's something we're good at. Well that the whole call response, the bum bum ba ba bum bum ba ba it's if you actually break that down, it's almost like a uh, like a circus or fairground kind of tempo because it's bum bum ba ba bum bum ba ba bum bum ba 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 is that's the ri- the rhythm it's doing and it's just twisted slightly to fit in with with this kind of you know old rock type stylings and uh, uh, and what have you and it's very very simple but it's very effective because it's different to what's happened in the rest of the song which I think we find on the album uh, as as a whole the the kind of mid eights breakdowns tend to do they stick out and they're, they're little pieces in in their own right as opposed to oh let's stop for a while let's stop singing for a while and throw some instruments in and then come back to it, it it's it's not so cynical like that the arrangement as i, I said earlier is it, you know it, it makes the song half the time yeah. the other thing i like about that particular that particular effect is the fact that some bands would just have the singer singing both parts but yeah. having the different vocal dynamic between miles 
and Mr. Treese, you know, you can actually hear the difference and it blends so well. They're not fighting against each other. They are complementing each other. Yeah, very much. I think it's one of those I'd, I'd be, you know, if, if I was kind of touring this and doing that song, it, I, I'm pretty sure this would be one of the songs that each night we get a little bit faster <laughs> and it would be a kind of band agreement say, how fast can we get before the whole thing falls in on itself? <laughs> oh, I, I suspect that was tested back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine for a minute that it wasn't. I can't imagine for a minute. Which brings us on to It's Your Money I'm After, baby. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, big um, melody, isn't it? It sounds... Almost, oh, I'm not sure the right words are. It, it sounds almost a little bit Irish or something. I don't know. A bit, a bit, almost like a sea shanty as well. In the fact that you got that, mm. you know, um, runaway train came down the hill and it blew, kind of thing. It, it puts me in mind yeah, that yeah. kind of that jollity, but it's kind of balanced against the, the lyrics of it. A lovely yeah. cynicism in the lyrics, but still yeah, yeah. maintaining what ultimately sounds like upbeat mm. and positive. But and, and I think this, these are Marlton's <laughs> lyrics through and through. He's got that a bit like um, uh, Jim Bob from Carter. They've got this knack of being cynical, but not snidey. Mm. Um, you know, not, not like uh, sitting on the sidelines and going and sneering at people, but actually poking fun in very <laughs> intelligent mm. and uh, uh, and cynical ways but 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 still maintaining you know to use that 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 word again to maintain the the, the, the kind of joy in, in many ways it sort of speaks to miles as a front man miles, miles in the day was never afraid of saying whatever no. he wanted whenever he wanted but there was a there was kind of a magnetism there he still liked the guy because because he's banging out up tunes yeah. it, it's all it's almost a bit of a sort of um i don't know it, it's almost a dichotomy because it could be really angry but you know that's only between songs <laughs> you know whilst whilst the songs are going on for the most part all you're getting is pure joy in the context of how they've been put together and what that cake is made of yeah. i really wish i could remember something specific about the first time i listened to it but unfortunately i can't i know it was on cassette i can remember where i bought the cassette but I can't remember what prompted me to. And I'm, I'm generally, I'm not somebody who buys something or I like the cover, so I'll buy it. I've got to have some hooking point to go out and get something. Do you remember vaguely kind of when it was, how old you were? Well, it was, uh, oh, actually, no, I was going to say, obviously, yeah, the album came out in 88. When would I have got it? It would have been probably sometime between 97 and 2000. Right. They broke up in 94, I think, Martin, is that right? For the first yeah, time sure. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 yeah yeah i think so yeah, Pro- yeah i was referring to phoenix so yeah. sometime between 97 and 2000 and i did i said it was definitely it, it was definitely on cassette that i got it first time uh, i had them in the car because i actually had uh, a higher car when mine was in the in the shop and this along with hook um never loved elvis and construction all got nicked out of that because somebody <laughs> put a window through the place I used to work in Leeds when I had that hire car and I had those in the hire car. So unfortunately, I uh, I didn't hold on to my original uh, original cassettes. But yeah, I, I don't know what made me buy it because yeah, like anybody else, I'd heard size of the cat size of the cow and I was aware that they'd been on Dizzy and what have you. So that first time, you know, first time I was trying to listen to it, it's your mummy. I'm after baby. I remember listening to it and thinking, really great. Not do I like this, but. Oh, that's a bit cheesy. Da, 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 da. You know, nah, I'm not sure this is. And then again, it takes all of what 
30 to 40 seconds, you hit the chorus. It's like, oh my goodness, why did I doubt the band? That Give me these two previous songs that are catchy as hell. Um, here we go again. And again, it was a another upbeat banger with a slightly different dynamic, uh, even more swingy. Uh, as I said, perhaps these, these folky overtones. It was in your face, but it wasn't in your face. Absolutely cracking song. Absolutely cracking song. And I love it when they put the um, the minor seventh in at the end. We'll give you that nice <laughs> minor seventh, which is which is a lovely little touch. So, moving on to rue the day. Um, yeah, so we we slow things down yeah. to a nice uh, gentle uh, pace now. I kind of love the way that they do this. They put these little song songettes. Well, it's uh, less than two uh, minutes, down. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, particularly their slower stuff. Again, this, this, this. I suppose this constitutes a, a proper, a proper song, really, in, in terms of length. But yeah, slow things down slightly less. Up. Well, I'll say that, that. I suppose the um, sort of lyrically and intentionally, it's a little bit more melancholy. But it doesn't, and I don't really know why. I, I have no, uh, no, no musical knowledge that gives me the reason why I would think this still doesn't sound like. Uh, too downbeat or negative, but it, it doesn't, whether it's just in the context of the album and, and how I think of them when they play. It sounds more wistful than melancholy. Yes, that's a very, very good point. And I think, again, the arrangement is great. It's the little bits between the verses and you've got the, you know, the, the bit in the middle where the you've got the, the descend on, on the kind of the bass and, and the guitar. That just, it, it, it takes it somewhere else from just, you know, if it was a folky thing, it would just say, right, well, here, here's those four chords or whatever they are. They're going to go round and round in a folky style. It does more than that, but just, again, does it with ease. I think this is a, a really brave song for the band to put on this album, though, because if you if you listen to kind of the tempo and the intensity of a lot of the other songs, to put something so stripped down and so warmly sung compared to a lot of the other things that are on the album. I guess, yeah, the fourth track. And to put it in its position, yeah, it's mm. a case of, you might think, oh, we'll put that at the end, you know, as a little chill out at the end, but to actually put it amongst all these bangers and to have the courage to do that, that's, I love the fact that it just gives me that, that give me that couple of minutes. I've just heard this big rock, big, this big bang, and I'm, I'm hearing this and relax. And just as you think, right, okay, I'm just coming down. And then you hit with the next one. I love the fact that when bands are not afraid to put something different, not what you expected. Yeah. And that's the thing that hit me about this song. Like, oh, this is different. I didn't expect this from this band. When I saw the picture of this band, they don't look like they're <laughs> going to sound like that. And more power to them. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, it doesn't sound like it's off a different <laughs> album or a different. It just fits. Yeah. You know, and obviously you've got, you, you recognize it being the, the same vocal and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it doesn't sound like they had a collection of songs and they just put them in a bag. They they still it's still a cohesive. I mean, I, I again I think that's an interesting a wider point about albums in general from this time. People were still putting albums together rather than you know you know in this day and age um, there are still people doing albums, but there's more a kind of we're streaming that you collection of singles mm. it, it kind of kind of kind of thing. I often wonder, having been through the process umpteen times, as I know you guys have also about working out what order to put your tracks on your album and having heated arguments over why uh, a certain track should, should be before oh, or we, after we another never, one. We never argue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, you know, I just wonder how much, um, because 
for for a, for a band that obviously have such a uh, an acuity for arrangement in the songs i can't believe that the arrangement in the album was any less considered mm. and the thing about this about the band themselves always throughout the history but particularly at this time uh they believed in value for money so if you look at each single they released exclusive b-sides and not just one track you know not a track and a remix and a live song always giving value for money ep wise yeah so for them to decide which songs are going on the album which we're going to use for b-sides and which are going to use a later point there must have been a lot of thought that's gone into that and putting that track in that particular mm-hmm. position like i say from a from a, a listen the first time round, i thought god that's brave but like you say, it doesn't feel like it's out of place. It feels like it's just given us a little stroke after the bangers. There's going to be more on the way, but we're just going to take you somewhere, give you time to take your breath because you're going to need it. Yeah, it's an interesting thought to think that people who, in, I suppose in our opinion, arrange songs well, that, that that way of thinking can centralise us out to the point where, okay, they really, really have thought about this running order and what have you. And it, I think it is a little bit of a bygone thing in many ways, as Ian says, with, with Spotify and what have you. You, you know, uh, a physical, a physical media, a, a physical medium in, in terms of ticket cassettes and tickler cassettes, if you like. But in the cassette and the album days, is, is much more locking you into the way you have to listen to it. I'm um, still so running a very a unsuccessful campaign against the whole concept of a shuffle button. Mm. It's, it's, it's <laughs> Satan's own idea, yeah. that one. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it annoys me. You have all that freedom. Why on earth do you do you want to concentrate on something that that's uh, so give yourself over to something that's random when you've got the power to put what you want? In? But anyway, you mind. wouldn't look at a painting, <laughs> look at a blank canvas, look at a drawing, look at just the red bits and the blue bits. You want to see the art as it's meant to be. So the concept yeah, yeah. of the shuffle no, right. takes me to a place I I don't feel comfortable either. <laughs> Okay, well, before we all aneurysm it, <laughs> let's let's move on to uh, give 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 me more more more. And I, I wasn't using the uh, the live name of that song then for the kids. Quite <laughs> another another example for me of the absolute brilliant how they are rhythmic as a band. And, and at the beginning, you've got your your lovely little sample of the cash cash register slamming slamming shut the irony slightly less subtle than pink floyd (laughs) (laughs) yes you yes you certainly don't get a pink floyd yeah it's very much a a kind of punk take on that uh sample yeah but no it's it's just ensemble rhythmic stuff all over again you've got the um the, the clacky muted guitars yeah. and, and the drums following each other in a sort of rhythmic pattern. And it's another one, in it. I think, when I first listened to this, particularly like the pre-chorus that takes that sort of rhythmic stance, I'm like, is this cheesy? And again, two or three listens, it's like, no, it's genius. It's really, really good. And it accentuated more by the fact that then the chorus is a very, very streamlined sort of linear approach, more of a straight line thing. But um, what a worthy, worthy single this is. And again, those mechanics elevate it live. It's it's easier to put plenty of grist behind it. Oh, it's just a, a fantastic track. It's give you give me more. And again, the harmonies, especially in the verses, there's a lot of holding on, on the notes on the the you know more 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 kind of thing. And and the fact that you've got harmonies kind of colliding and taking that, it almost goes into a kind of phase effect at the end mm. and disappears in, into a into a fog and it just helps it just makes it kind of very 
atmospheric without it being that kind of overly processed kind of you know, sound you, you can sometimes get in pop production. The thing I love most about this particular song, you've got the verses where you've got Miles almost snarling his, his vitriolic lyric. Yeah. And then you get to the chorus and you get such warmth in those two harmonies. And like I said before, the fact that it is two very different voices that are just holding against each other and just taking each other to a beautiful place. And like you said, the holding of those notes that wasn't happening in that kind of music because it, it wasn't considered masculine. You know, it, it, it's like we're going to allow ourselves <laughs> to have that pop sensibility, of, but really take it in, in, in an area that you've not heard before. And that's what excited me so much about this album. And I think this this was the mm. first single I actually saw on Snub TV. And he was wearing that smiley shirt then as well, yeah, playing that big white <laughs> Gretsch. And I was like, wow. And obviously yeah. seeing that the bass singer is... Um, his uh, Brigada Rossa t-shirt. I was like, God, these look cool as hell. Sounds great. <laughs> Buy the album. Never regretted it. Yeah, yeah. And again, thinking back, this particularly amongst the... There was, I can't think of a, a, another song or perhaps a style of writing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sort of saying that it was really, really out, sort of out there, entirely sort of pioneering uh, sonic originality or anything. But there was kind of nothing that, for me, Thinking back with what I can remember, there was nothing that really sounded like this. It sat, it wasn't, I wouldn't call it rock, but it was a lot heavier than pop. It sat on such a, a sweet spot, such a sweet sort of ley line. Like I was saying at the beginning, when I first heard it, I didn't know what it was. And I think this is the kind of thing that, that you're talking about. It's got familiar touchstones. There's kind of your punk edge to it, and there's your, your kind of heavy rock in there, and then you've got your, your kind of big production harmonies and, uh, and what have you but i guess because i wasn't in the midlands because i was a bit further up i was growing up in in derbyshire i hadn't quite twigged with that um uh, th that kind of grebo uh movement that was very much based around the uh the west midlands um and you of course then you've got poppies and uh, um uh, uh neds and all Crazy that head. kind of thing i hadn't heard that at the grassroots because i was chesterfield sheffield as a, as a young kid and it was there was a lot of um uh like your thrash stuff so we got we got the nottingham influence more than the midlands so i guess from a grassroots level i hadn't heard this stuff so i had to wait <laughs> until it got mainstream enough to to kind of <laughs> to reach the country through through means other than um uh being able to go go and see this kind of stuff live yeah I, it, it's, it's interesting mentioning the poppies there um, I could only speculate because even I sort of read Miles' diaries and a bunch of books about the band, and I can't. It, it doesn't stick in my mind that he ever sort of uh, professed to being like heavily influenced, perhaps by his, his immediate peers, because obviously he lived with Clint for a while. That they were an influence, but now I'm sort of thinking about it and listening to what you're saying. You do. You do wonder if he was listening, particularly from the rhythmic stuff, you do wonder if listening to sort of the poppies and some of the stuff that they were doing with with samples and a little bit more electronic, if that bled in at all a little well, bit. For me, the um, thing that where kind of the poppies and the wonder stuff, kind of the two tracks is kind of No For The Thirteen Time and Sweet Sweet Pie by the poppies. You know, you were talking about the palm, palm muted guitars, that scratchy kind of, vibe very much you hear those two songs you think 
you can hear those bands playing together because they complement each other. You know, that kind of sound. Yeah. It wasn't a case of that it's exactly the same, but it puts you in mind of. Um, but the poppies went in a very different direction, you know, fairly quickly. Um, whereas I think the, the it sounds a bit cheesy for me to say the classic songwriter, which is, you know, what I've always considered Miles to be throughout his career. I don't think it was any, it, well, it's, it's no surprise that it was signed to Polydor to do this album because on the first album, I can hear quite a few influences of, you know, the angry young man kind of, of early Paul Weller and finding out that the part right. of the reason they signed to Polydor is because the jam signed to Polydor and that angry young man that Paul Weller was on this album, I hear that in Miles Hunt. But it's very much focused, like Paul Weller was focused when he was in the jam. Miles is really focused with his, yeah. with his anger and his cynicism. Yeah. Wraps it up in such yeah. great hooks. You can preach a message, yeah. but if, you, if you're just screaming and shouting, it's not going to hurt. Wrapping it up in a two and a half minute great pop song with great guitars. There you go. There's your audience. And, and it takes intelligence mm. to do that because anyone can write an angry rant. <laughs> but, it, but to kind of skewer something takes a, a certain wit and uh, an intelligence and a kind of a, a, an understanding of the world a little bit more and i i think uh, you know i think i think that that comes through and it all kind of wraps it wraps mm. into it yeah i would agree would agree um it's probably i mean while we're talking about this we've departed slightly but um is it worth talking about you know who produced this and and the other things that they, <laughs> they done because obviously um what do you call him pat collier did a lot of the uh, new model army stuff around around that time where you've got a similar blend of kind of acoustic type guitar sounds and um and electric things and a very, again some some kind of very um uh, distinctive drumming style and uh, and uh, and again intelligent lyrics not you know musically very different but you know it's i think i think it's interesting you know you've got those, those kind of uh, those bands that have have some similar tonalities mm. i guess i never really thought that from that point of view actually um yeah no, that, that does make sense with the particularly i guess enemy at the time without a doubt so so yeah angry rants dressed up in in uh, color Colourful petticoats, <laughs> which moves I think on quite well to like a merry-go-round. Well, I know actually it doesn't. That's rubbish because nothing angry about this at all. <laughs> um, this is the one song I never didn't like it, but this is the one song I took longer to warm up to possibly than uh, than some. It does the heavy sugar. It does the heavy heavy sugar. But again, it's it's, it's held up by um, you know particularly good melodies, chorus, etc., etc., etc. Well, I mean, half the song is just literally saying "Surely Love is Like a Merry-Go-Round" with lovely mm-hmm. uh, call and response vocals and, and harmonies going on. Um, I think if you try and imagine it in your head, you would probably remember all that kind of stuff. Certainly, I do. And then, and then the um, I think the verses come as a surprise. You, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, Martin. What do you think of Merry-Go-Round? Weirdly, the bit that. I always find it a bit mid-tempo, but then when it drops down and then comes back in, it wins me yeah. over at that point. Because up to that point, it's kind of beaver away, you know, merrily doing what it does. And like you say, yeah. I get your point, Paddy, because having heard so many great songs, you think, right, okay, this is, it's not a bad song, but it's, but then when it drops down and then comes back with those wonderful cold response harmonies you were referring to a minute ago, Ian, it wins me over in a big way. And then as it drops at the end, I'm like, okay, you've won me over. 
oh, I didn't want to like you because you're not as up there with the rest <laughs> of them. But what you did there was really clever because it's like you, you're making me go back down and then come back up again in a way that is mm. really, really clever. Yeah, it's grown. It's definitely grown on me over the years. Play it was one of the hardest ones to play. I have to say, I always found it really, really difficult. And again, it's not. There's nothing complicated in it. I'm not sure what it was, but. I think the hardest thing is those wonderful harmonies at the end. The, yeah, the yeah. Tough, no, the, that's you know, difficult. Packing everything in. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot going in, into it. Uh, I think you know in the in the kind of reverse of, of No for the Thirteenth Time, you've got something that seems slow with a with a huge amount going into it. I mean the the the, the line the uh, don't you know that you're young, good looking, and able. I mean, there's too many syllables for that line, but somehow he <laughs> sings it properly. It doesn't sound clumsy. That's that's possibly something we haven't really mentioned yet enough about Miles's both his, his abilities as a lyricist and his ability to. I don't want to say fit things in because it then sounds vaguely disparaging as if he's he's got these things that he has to crowbar in, so they don't quite work. But that's not the case. No. Um, I mean, there's some there's some sort of uh, there's a lot of vocal juggling on give 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 me more more more, for example. But I do, yeah, he it, 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 it makes it seem fairly effortless to fit those uh, many, many syllables into, into a, it, the, square, the square peg of syllables into the round hole of the song. Um, it is definitely something that he does, and he does it very, very well. I'm just trying to think now, there was, the, um, there was a clip, I think it was on the, um, it was on a documentary around the Netherlands Elvis period. There was clips from Best Scott Martin jumping and Tom Woodward, and uh, <laughs> and it was uh, my, uh, uh, dr- sorry, a drunk Wayne Hussey saying uh, something around, you know, you write good pop songs, but I'm a poet. And I was sat there thinking, you know, something Wayne, he's, he's he's a lot more than just somebody who writes decent pop songs. He's actually an amazing sort of, of, of writer in that sense. Yeah, well, um, it was on the Welcome to the Cheap Seats movie. Uh, yes. That's the one, yeah, but, yeah. I knew, you, I knew you'd remember. When but, I forget, um, <laughs> coming back to a point Ian made earlier on, that I think Miles is one of a very few people who are, you know, from a songwriter point of view of, um, should we say, being, having that world view of, you know, people like Paul Weller, as you mentioned, uh, Jim Bob from from Carter, um, some yeah. some, Paul Heaton's another yeah, one, that's... Oh, isn't he? Just um, where you can miss sometimes what's actually been said and just enjoy it as a pop song and then you hear it again yeah. and you pick up on what's actually been said like uh particularly on like give 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 me more 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 and it's your money i'm after you can just hear it as a joyful pop song and then you hear the lyrics and you're like wow <laughs> it's twofold yeah. yeah no definitely okay and then on to the so i guess if if we've just had a song which is a a particularly sweet sweet sugary treat I always found that the animal, animals and me, was was something of an oddity in in a way, and I'm not exactly sure what it is about it that I found odd. A little bit more heavy use of of um, samplers and sort of drum machine stuff in this one a little bit, but I don't know. What do what do we think of animals and me, Martin? Well, the first time I heard it, it put me in mind of a particular song and. In later years, when the Wonder Stuff have played it, they actually reference this song, which is White Lines by Grandmaster Flash in the Furious um, Five. Uh, that bass right. line, you know, and it always made me think of that, and I would always sing along to that song. So it was really nice years later to hear that. So it was kind of 
indie rap for me for that one. And I enjoyed it for what it was because it was it was a little bit different. But again, mm. we'll come back to this point. It didn't feel like a part of the jigsaw that didn't fit. No. And the lyrics, um, I didn't actually take on board what they were about at the time to the degree until I actually read uh, Miles' diaries. And I thought, right, OK, well, I get it now. Yeah. Uh, do you want to enlighten us? Well, yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, it was a time when vegetarianism and things like that was, you know, seen as, oh, you, you weird lefty, you know. You, well, actually, no, the animals have a, 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 a purpose of being here, you know, and yeah, it was really subtle the way he did it. And it's when I read the book, his diaries, I thought, I reread the lyrics and I, and I got it. I was like, well done, Miles. Yeah. The young mate, even though I was vegetarian, <laughs> didn't pick up on what you were saying there. So it was just good lyrics, but I didn't get it because I wasn't emotionally probably mature enough to get it. I just said it's a great song, but uh, good luck to you, Miles. <laughs> and what a, what a subject to write a song about, in, in a sense. It's like, you know, there the, are uh, the easy kills, the song writing, you know, My Baby Left Me or, or some political diatribe about um, whoever's empowering country X or whatever. But to write to write about something like that and still sort of, succeed and, and make something which is is very very likable very very accessible and I, I think then it also it talks to to the ability again as as a lyricist because it's really easy to write a song saying stop eating meat it's bad a kind of thing animals are lovely and and yet it's not a pious, it's not a pious attack is it <laughs> exactly and it's yeah. like but it's so cutting if you actually read read the uh, the lyrics and it's almost it's almost cartoon like i i mean like you know like you'd get in a um a political cartoon kind of thing where it skewers a point with an image the you know the whole um you know cows and sheep suffer great defeats because they weren't quick enough on their feet I, um, and now we're cooking them up to eat it's it's just um again we keep using the word joy but it it just wallows in in that kind of, <laughs> kind of joyous way of pointing something out i think yeah, this is a, this is yeah. a song I always that always makes me think of the bass thing because uh, the last time I saw him play was which was at the Mission Shindig in Sheffield. Uh, they were playing this song and Miles just put his head on on Rob's shoulder and I managed to take a photograph of that image and it's something I look back on and it just I just remember thinking, wow, what a fantastic moment that was because he was just his bass really dirty and he was really into it and uh, so it always makes me when I hear about that song. I just think of the joy of the bass thing when you know when he was at his, at his pump and rocking out. Nice memory. Yeah, very nice memory. Also, something I picked on because I, I originally listened to this album on vinyl. So uh, the, as soon as I'd, I'd heard it, I, I was working at the library at the time as a, uh, on the, on the weekends, and we had the record library. And this album came in, and I grabbed it before it went on the shelf. Um, and listen to it and of course um i'd I'd taped it because i was killing music with my home taping at the time and um do you remember when music got killed um and so listening to walkman and you know for all the the kind of um you know looking back with rose-tinted spectacles or rose-tinted earphones i guess at at the walkman um cassette copies of albums did not have a high fidelity <laughs> playback and i was listening to this again recently on uh, cd through half decent stereo and i got there's bongos in there that i'd never <laughs> never heard properly before mm. and i think what it was is um notice the bongos in the re-recorded version because they're just they're just mm. more prominent in the mix and i thought that's a characteristic of the re-record that's something else they threw in there and then 
listening again to the original. Oh no, they were they were always there. I just hadn't heard them properly before. I can't, I can't think I've heard Bongo, so I'm going to have to listen to that. Uh, it's really it, it's <laughs> <laughs> they're there. I believe. <laughs> cool. Right, moving on to uh, another one of this album's singles. Redberry Joy Town's probably my favourite Stuffy song. This could be my second favourite part, one of them. But uh, Wish Away. I love the simplicity of it. The two component parts, the attack of the verses and the uh, nice sort of uh, plain sailing choruses with the vocals. Again, another very upbeat, but plenty of drive kind of tune. The thing about um, a lot of the guitar playing as well, some of the picked parts are very, very subtle. And he does a lot of stuff where he picks the same note on an open string and a fretted string. And you and they're a bugger to work out because they're not particularly... I don't know. Everything's not prominent in the mix, and then you've got um, sort of the same note. Whenever you have the same note in a little arpeggiated pick, it's like, well, is it this or is it that? I've never sort of played along to people's songs where uh, quite as much as the Wonder Stuff, where I end up playing something that I decide sounds good to my ear, but probably isn't exactly what it was, and that's usually due to this uh, the way that he sort of picks the same note more than once in arpeggio. Which you tend to find, I think, most uh, so. Sort of, Technical people writing songs want to go all over the place rather than do something simple. Just sits sits there and fits in a, in a lovely manner. And I think, um, just as an aside on this song, this is one of those songs where the internet has got wrong. Because if you look at the lyrics for this anywhere, somebody at some point has mixed up Grin and A Wish Away. And so nearly every lyric site, if you look up uh, A Wish Away, you get the lyrics to Grin. <laughs> oh, so, that I didn't know. <laughs> Try it. Try it at home, kids. <laughs> what do you think then, Martin? Uh, well, for me, we're coming back to that theme that this album has, which is those wonderful harmonies. So the harmonies on this absolutely slayed me. If you pardon the obvious pun, slayed. You know, that great pop sensibility. Another band that were on Polydor. You know, <laughs> pop music really hits you. And having those harmonies so up there, it was... Like I say, it's the thing that throughout this album that, like I say, impressed me so much, the harmonies that they, they, they drove the song with, that they, they, they drove the song with. I mean, obviously, guitars don't, don't matter to me at all, you know. But um, no, it's, it's just great pop music with great harmony. And Ian, you mentioned about holding the notes on, particularly on this song. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's not, but it doesn't sound like they're showing off. And it and it even so, it even uh, starts the song that way in something that's obsessively a chorus harmony part. You get that as as an intro, uh, as it were. Yeah, I tell you what, Malcolm Treese's pipes always uh, impress me on this because the little sort of bit at the end of end of the chorus, the wish you were, wish you were, wish you were. That's a that's a long way up, is that? That's that's a long way up. But yeah, banging single, banging single. I always <laughs> it's weird. I don't know why I think this, but I always think this is this is a cracking second song in a set list. It just uh, I don't know. It, it's a main a power a powerful maintainer with tons and tons of melody. Uh, a technical podcast point. I believe we've lost Martin. Hmm. In that case. <laughs> Well, welcome back. Uh, welcome back for us anyway, because a week has just passed since we experienced some uh, technical issues after a, a wish away, which has uh, put us a week away. Brilliant pun, Martin, brilliant pun. So um, so we can continue where we left off 
with the uh, strange little ditty grin, which I always thought felt a little bit on the experimental side, oddly enough. Sort of a little bit of a jerky feel to it. Nice to uh, to guitar approach. Uh, just just off, I don't know, this song, to me, it feels slightly off, off kilter. If you have like fine fine running well-oiled little three four three and four minute pop machines i don't know what it is about grin that that makes me feel a little bit sort of i wouldn't go as far as to say avant-garde but slightly left of center which is i don't know something just something about this a little bit more experimental well i mean it's a song that i liked so much that i named a band after it um which um obviously paddy you'll be particularly familiar with there was a time probably when I would have thought of this as being my favorite song on the album, probably very much for the reasons you've just been talking about, because it was a little odd. Does it have a chorus? It's kind of got Schrodinger's chorus, really, because um, <laughs> the chorus is kind of what traditionally you'd think of as, as a pre-chorus. And just as it's getting to yeah. what you think where the chorus comes, it's back to the verse. And then it mm. repeats the second time round twice as long what i would think of as a pre-chorus and then we then, then we're back in because it's not a it's not a here's the title of the song la 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 kind of repeat the re- refrain kind of uh, chorus nor is it that kind of en- enigmatic are uh, we calling it this because that's a thematic chorus so i kind of like the structure for for those reasons yeah it's nice that they weren't sort of first album it's nice that they weren't afraid to do something a little bit different bearing in mind the front-loaded half of the album which was uh is particularly good and particularly poptastic if you like Th- this song i think's a i'd say a nice little experiment what do you think mine well actually some of angels actually pointed out that i never thought about it until you mentioned it if you like this is a song in reverse and the fact that the verses are what you'd consider to be the chorus because the song's called grin and that's where it's talking about it and then you've got that kind of pre-chorus bit that's actually, if you like, the false chorus. And that, that, that's quite interesting. Not only does it give you your band name, it also gives, of course, the album its title. Indeed. Because at first Indeed. I'm like, why is it called that? There's no song on there called that. And obviously, <laughs> there's, you know, obviously you work out how many of them's in the band. And then uh, they allude it to in, in this song itself. When I first heard Guilty Drumming, I assumed uh, Eight-Legged Drum Machine was just a reference to the fact that somehow we had eight limbs. <laughs> Some kind of octopus man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first time I actually heard this, I thought it was actually a drum machine on it because it, it felt more like a drum That's machine kind of pattern because it's not got so much of Guilty's kind of groove on it. And But the more you hear it, the more you think, well, actually, that, that's quite, as we say, odd compared to the other ones, you know, the amount of chops the other ones have in them, this one's kind of quite straight played. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It, yeah. Apart from those bits in the middle, like, da-ba-bats. It feels more consistent. Yeah. It's, the, yeah. it's, the, it's the guitar work and the melodies that are all over the place. Yeah. And to some degree, the sort of guess-what's-going-on arrangement. But it still works. Magnificent yeah. little song. Yeah. yeah, as I say, it was just great to think that they had the confidence to bang something like this on the first album when everything else that they were doing was sort of working so well. But yeah, yeah, great little song. Mm. So on to Mother and I, something that starts with not quite a cappella. I mean, the Stuffies have always been happy to um, hit the vocals, hit the melodies and have a few feet, a few people singing and what have you. But I do like the sort of ha, ha, ha aspect of this. It's a bit, whoa. So this is, this is something different that's coming along. 
Ian? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a just completely different tone again, isn't it? And yeah, I kind of like those uh, little vocal tricks, ticks, what, what, whatever they are. It's one of those where the lyric, the melody limits in the verse, it's got a real kind of swing to it, which it's, it's a, you know, a really nice delivery. Again, it's another one of those where there's more syllables than there deserve to be in the line, and somehow it still fits, <laughs> as we've mentioned earlier. So, yeah. I do like a bit of the, um, I was going to say Bo Diddley's, but that's absolutely wrong. A bit of the Chuck <laughs> Berry's when you do something vocally, which isn't quite there. There's something quite brave about. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. It's like, it's all, it isn't cheating, but it, it, in, some, in some universe, it almost almost feels like it's cheating but it works so well it doesn't matter and it also feeds into again from this on are, are we are we going a little bit more experimental on 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 purpose it would be uh, interesting to know i think oftentimes if you do a parody song the do 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 is a kind of shortcut for isn't this a bit cheesy and it absolutely isn't but yeah it, but it has a, you know so somehow they get away with it i mean some bands first albums you get like 10 or 12 versions of the same kind of riff and song. Mm. That's certainly not something you could level at this album. I mean, you've, you've gone from the previous song into something that goes almost at some, some points, almost like Beach Boys-esque with those wonderful harmonies. You know, and, and again, I've talked about the bravery of the band, you know, using the harmonies at a time when it wasn't fashionable. Yeah. And Miles Hunt's lyrics, have, you know, having those barbs in them against such beautiful melodies. So you could actually hear it just as a beautiful melody. Oh, that's lovely. And then you actually hear the lyric and it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah. The, bar- the barbs and the syllables. Don't forget the yeah. syllables. Barbs and syllables. That's what they should have called the album. Barbs and syllables. That actually, that's, yeah. that's a damn good name yeah. for an album. Uh, which uh, moves us on swiftly. Uh, some Sad Someone, which... I don't know. Uh, this, uh, it's it's a lovely little track. If I was going, uh, this is where you've kind of got to think. If if there was one, if there was one you were going to skip, which seems a bit counterintuitive for me when I'm listening to one stuff because there's nothing I'd ever skip. Um, this one does. This one does feel a little bit um, melancholy, sad relationship hmm. type song, I guess, because they like to drop the sort of shorter 40 second guitar and voice pieces in here and there those sort of dynamics to me make it this one feel shorter than it actually is this yeah. feels like one of those little as well as is but actually it's a it's a fully formed i think about two minute 40 song but it just it, it, does that ever 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 a slight bit of no i hate to say cookie cookie cutter and i'm 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 sort of kicking my one one of my legs is kicking my other leg in the shin as i'm as i'm actually saying this and making these utterances but it it does feel like the one it's like well okay there's a bit of an obligation here and you split with your girlfriend last summer so let's let's do this one but as i, I as i say i feel i feel dirty filthy and horrible for even saying it because i love this album yeah. so much yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to the comment i made just a minute ago the bravery of doing a song like this in in the era that it was released that I don't think you can ever kind of downplay because you hear this and it, that word you use, melancholy, and it is, it, 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 it almost takes you down. But I think where you see it sat and what comes after it, I think it's very deliberately placed. Like you said, I thought it was about a minute and a half this. You're telling me it's best part of nearly three minutes, perhaps. I'll check. I may be but, lying. Yeah, no, it, it's about it, like 250, yeah. something like that, isn't it? Yeah. All right, yeah, 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 it is, yeah. it is. And the layer, you know, the way it's layered as well, a lot of times obviously been spent on that layering. And I mentioned Beach Boys earlier on, that kind of real warmth to it. So it's got a warmth as well as the melancholy. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's not one dimensional. It doesn't, you know, it's it's not a Morrissey bleating one, you know, as much as I loved early, you know, the Smiths, love, love the Smiths hate Morrissey. Uh, but as much as I love that kind of thing, there is a, a degree of one dimensionality on this. You've got a lovely warmth to it that it doesn't actually feel as sad as it is. Now, the vocals are very, very, well, there's a lot, a lot of depth in them, the, the mm. kind of layering of, of the of the harmonies. So it's actually quite rich. And to a certain extent, the, the harmonies kind of lift it. The harmonies aren't quite as melancholy as the subject of the, the mm. song and the and the chord progression. So that's, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a, a kind of conflict at, at its very heart there. I think, Ian, you used a word about 40 minutes ago for most people and about a week and 40 minutes ago for us. I think wistful was that yeah. you, you don't yeah you don't necessarily get pain you get wistfulness yeah. which is which does feed into the sort of overall firmament that is the wonder stuff at this time at this time in the <laughs> career which is that up up sort of uh, happy jolly to the force it, it 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 even bleeds over into the to some degree sad ballad <laughs> which is lovely really it's a great <laughs> great overpowering positivity and also in complete contrast to the previous song where uh, and previous songs where we've mentioned about too many syllables for the line you've got the complete opposite here you've got the don't say that you, you've got very few words being stretched over quite a long <laughs> phrase mm. and like i said the bravery of stripping it down to the, the the level it's at you know rather than throwing every instrument at it, and it must be hard for musicians in a band to do you know, like, what about me? What about my bit? No, it's what's, what the song is. is the I was going to say, yeah. you've, you've met me in here, <laughs> You know, like, where's all the drums? Where are those bass? Where's all the loud guitars? No, it's not for this song. This is how this song needs to be. And for a band to work in a studio on that must be tough. So you've got to respect yeah. that as well. Well, I'll be honest on on that on that theme from a from a fan looking in. I'm like, I, I wouldn't have a song that didn't have more predominant Gilksy on it if it was my choice. <laughs> if I had re, re, sort of resource to utilise to, to uh, attain an end product, it'd have it'd all be all. Shall we just record Gilksy for like an hour and a half? All <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so talking of Gilksy, I think this is the best decent segue I've done. Full stop. If if that's even a thing, but um, it's the. Uh, crazy beat cowbell song that is ruby horse um <laughs> the way i got heavily into the wonder stuff is say, i got this on on cassette all those years ago and this is as i mentioned before as is typical with me a lot of my favorite bands had split up or the classic lineup had certainly split up by the time i i uh, get anywhere near um liking them and, and the wonder stuff had, wonder stuff are definitely my top five without a shadow of a doubt but the, the the thing that I saw very 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 soon after I'd sort of hang on this is a band I'm interested in I want to absorb everything was that Phoenix gig, and this song live just I was like oh my god this is so weirdly clever <laughs> it's just such an amazing song a song that's sort of built around this odd drum beat to the point where you, you know you have your sort of I don't know pre-chorus breakdown section which is basically just a chromatic i mean you can be that simple if everything that's backing it up it's almost like melodic drums it's just crazy um but yeah i love this i i really really just love the oddness of it um and, and how driven it is whilst being sort of i don't know slightly drum floppy martin what this drum beat, is it as odd as I think it is? Absolutely. It, 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 it's like you said, the word you use is choppy. It's like punk funk for me is this song. 
That's the best oh, way okay. I can describe it because it's got that real funk groove to it, but it's still totally punking attitude. You got that going off all the time, and yet it's it's, it's kind of like counterbalanced by this funk groove, which is what Guilty's doing, and the what the bass is doing is just bouncing with it, you know. And so, from from a, from a drummer's point of view, hat off, perfect example as you said of the maestro at his best. Amen. It's got a very, very spiky feel to it. But actually, if you think about it in terms of position on the album and then think about how it starts, the initial uh, Ruby horse, I know, that's really slow and pulled back. Mm. It, it almost sounds in the same register as the previous song. Mm. So you've come out of this kind of slower, wistful, acoustic-y, vocal harmony kind of thing. This song starts and it sounds like it's perhaps going in the same kind of direction and then out comes a cowbell and and, and, and off we go and it, it just you know a handbrake turns into this what what you got a kind of punk funk uh, you know that's that's a that's a very um apt description uh, i think yeah it's a, to me it's one of the songs that's an album track that would be an absolute dance floor filler anytime it's played because you can just groove your ass off to it and that's why i love it so much that is and it absolutely Belting live track, as I say. I mean, I liked it on the album, but when I heard it on um, that recording of the Phoenix Festival, it was just like, wow, this is, <laughs> whoa. It uh, lifts it up another couple of levels. So, on to... Now, I don't think Unbearable was their first single. I think it was the first single signed. I think Wonderful Day was the first single, but... Yeah, I think it was yeah. the first one that did did good business, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. but... I mean, what what the hell can you say about this song? It, it sort of couldn't be more perfect. It's circular in its perfection. It just comes back to pat. It goes it goes round all the way around and pats itself on the back. Two basically <laughs> a two a two chord riff with a slight bit of movement in there. I always thought there's a there's a finger in the chord shapes moving somewhere, but pretty much it's just a G and a C. And it's like, it's just sim- simplicity and perfection of, of writing a good pop song is unbearable. Uh, again, it's upbeat, but again, you've got axe, angst, should I say, not axe. You've got a little bit of angst there. It is sharp. It's uh, uh, miles, miles being miles. But, but again, uh, straight ahead, punky, pop, perfection, mm. more peas. Off you go. Yeah. Ian. Um- well, obviously, the, the, the key to a good pop song is a good hook. And this has got, like, three good hooks. <laughs> obviously, from a vocal, the chorus, it's another one. There's a lot of, I've said it before, we'll say it again, there's a lot of syllables there that go in. But it's, it's fun to sing along with. My God, is this a fun song to, to sing along with? Because once you've, once you've got the um, didn't like you very much when I met you, it kind of bounces it in your mouth along along with that you see people delighting in the fact that they've managed to get <laughs> to get those words out when they're singing it singing along with it but it's also the, the kind of the melodic that the just the, the kind of bounciness of the riff is another hook it's another earworm and it, i think sometimes it depends perhaps what mood you're in when you think about the song what sticks in your mind first whether it's the lyric or or it's the you know, because like you say, it's, it's your kind of two chord kind of da 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 da. But because you've got that dun da 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 dun kind of thing going on behind it, there's so much bounce in it for something which is a, essentially a, an alternating two chord riff at, at its at its heart. There's two there's two words that always come to my mind when I hear this, which is cartoon ferocity. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's got, it's like, you know, they're dead, isn't it? It's got like a cartoon kind of jovialness and you've got the barbaricness nature of some of the lyrics. I mean, like you've said, that, that opening line of the chorus and then the next line, and now I like you even less. <laughs> oh, singing! When I, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, touche, touche. Whoever wrote that, by the man of pie, you know, it's just put your money where your mouth is. It's very much a case of, you know, it's like, right, there's a line in the sand, deal with it. And yeah. I've mentioned before that the, the power of the lyrics is probably the most barbed lyricist uh, of his generation and i know he's massively inspired by early paul weller and it comes across in that you know that eloquence intelligence in the in the, in, in some of the lyrics that come out and this is a perfect example of that that and now i like you even less oh <laughs> it's it, there's a song by stiff little fingers called i don't i don't like you and you if you listen to that you'll get the idea of of, of you know where miles is coming from and it's just genius. There's very few lyrics that stay with me in that kind of way. And that this is particularly one of them for that line more than anything. <laughs> yeah. Plus, it's a lyrical style. It's a very sort of conversational lyrical style at times. It's not sort of, um, I mean, it is pa- painting a picture by virtue of the fact that it's, it's language and it's communication. But it, it's very literal. You know, didn't like you very much when I met you. And now I like you even less. It, it, and and that, that's kind of quite clever in a pop song, I think. Mm. Um, and you kind of don't see that too much. I'm, pro- I'm probably on a, a tangent here by myself because I'm starting to think of Don Brocco's stuff and the way that they're very, very literal in their lyrics. It's not There's no sort of um, unicorns or aspirations to take over the world or, or, or that. It's just like very, very literal things that they say. It, it sort of it, it feels a bit like that to me, does, does Unbearable, and quite a few of the stuff he songs. The other thing I wanted to mention, which I, I, I haven't mentioned before, is as, um, as a guitarist, when they, they do sort of have, I'm thinking like this tune and perhaps, I suppose, Red Berry Joy Time, that there aren't so much guitar solos, probably running that octave in Wish Away is the closest it gets, but you, they have these, what a sort of guitar solo breaks but it's just like loads of feedback and i absolutely yeah. love it and they use it sparingly yeah. so it works and you get the idea that the engine they might have done several takes and the engineer will get like a um a, i don't know an 8 16 32 bar of okay yeah that one really fit it just you know it was just right we got the just the right harmonics and the right bits and pieces and um again I, I, whether that's whether that's an on purpose thing a good engineer more than Look, look as well as judgment or all judgment. I don't know, but I do love that aspect of particularly this this album with the stuff is. With added cowbell. With as well, well you, I mean, yeah. It, I think I think uh, over these podcasts, the more cowbell uh, audio meme will be will be fired around somewhat. <laughs> oh, brilliant! So, um, so yeah, unbearable, unbearable, brilliant single, brilliant single. To me, it shows it's intelligent without being clever, clever. You know, some lyricists will try and be overly mm. clever. This is using lyrics in yeah. an intelligent way, but also, like I said, in a really quite vicious, brutal way. It's the, it's the literality of it. He's, mm. It's been sort of, it's erudite, but it's not, um, 
uh, it, it's not sort of fluffy. It's not painting yeah. p- painting a picture, if you like, as as a lot of mu- you know musicians do. They they it, it's a wider thing. This is yeah. a very very narrow yeah. focused conversational yeah. sort yeah. of erudite <laughs> statement. And uh, it, yeah, it's more pun- yeah, it's more punching the face than, than punching bicycle. <laughs> I have no idea what you meant by that, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Oh, dear. So we move on to the show closer for the original sequence of the album, which is Poison. Poison. I beg your pardon, Poison, which starts with another little um, little sample. Uh, nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to hurt anybody. Uh, anybody know where that's from? Because I don't. No. No. Okay. Not, that's... We'll have to find it out. Annoy... It doesn't but... annoy me as much as the other one, because at least I can tell what the, what the words are. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, well, there's no there's no points for knowing or not knowing, so it's all good. It's all good. But yeah, yeah, uh, it's sort of a, this is this is sort of perhaps bordering slightly more towards uh, the rock side of things a little bit. It's very solid. It always felt a little bit of a precursor to disco king in terms of uh, attack and, and sort of what they were doing. Great uh, song to sort of finish a set with, I always think, is 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 poison. Knowing, of course, that Goodnight Noah with the uh, with all the stuff will always be the one that's the, at the end of the last encore, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, symptomatic of everything else that is the wonder stuff. It feels sharp. It feels pointed. We're, you know, covered in bubblegum still all the same. What do you think, Ian? I just think it's a nice bit of upbeat, punky raucousness to uh, to end on. And yeah, poison again. So pick up a penguin. It's uh, it's another. It's just fun. That's where I've heard it before. <laughs> But, you know, singing those kind of things, you don't often get lyrics with lots of plosives because, you know, <laughs> it's a nightmare in the studio. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're fun. They're fun to sing. And if you can really, you know, get round them and, uh, and kind of belt them out, uh, all, all the better. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah continue, continuing the theme all the way to the end of the album and the album uh, stamping it at the at the end in exactly the same way mine it's to me it's a definite full stop in the album the, the you know again <laughs> from a sequencing point of view sorry it sounds like a bit music the way that they put no. the song at the end the way it finishes it's a very very clever right okay this is this is the end and all that makes you want to do is put it back on again from, from back from the beginning it's again it's it's a clever song in the fact that it's not you typical it doesn't have verse chorus verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus it's it's like bits chopped in that all fit together yeah yeah you know it's it's not it's not your typical here's a definite verse and here's a definite chorus and the progression between the two it's quite a odd sounding song for me is this but i've always loved it for that you know that kind of it's like a wow 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 you know with the wow wow and everything that's going off it's not a typical right okay here's a pop song riff 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 it kind of really sits back and builds up into that you know the the poison chorus if you like but it's not a typical chorus because then it descends back in you know and it, and yeah. it kind of it kind of does that all the way through and it's like a seesaw you know or, or like a roller coaster and it got and it ebbs and flows throughout the song and the kind of broody bits you know like i'm gonna do this and then it goes up into the actual poison parts and uh, yeah that's what makes it different but it still feels like a part of the whole album it does it fits yeah. it fits yeah I would say that from structurally from the song, it's like the album in miniature because the end of the song is like the <laughs> it's like the end of the, the album, especially you know the the re-release with with your extra slow bit on the end, um, which we 
may uh, may talk about. So it does, yeah, it, it belongs at the end and, and it fits nicely. Incidentally, I've just managed to Google uh, surreptitiously in the background. <laughs> um, it would appear, we may be wrong here, but it would appear that actually that sample is a quote from um, Jerry Garcia. Ah. So I'll have to look into that deeper. Sadly, dead, not gratefully dead. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. And as, and as Ian alluded to, you have the basically the wind down at the end of the song, which constitutes a, a wind down rounding up of the end of this mm. little pop punk masterpiece debut outing. Absolutely fantastic. It's like getting your breath back. It's like sewing de- slowing down at the, yeah. at the end of a run. And at a time when bands put 10 tracks on an album, big up the stuffies, 14 tracks. VFN, <laughs> good on you, lads. I mentioned before, the singles were never just here's a track and a live track or here's a track and a remix or an extended version. You got value for money from this band. You know, they came from an age where you put your best songs together and that's what it feels like. It feels like here's a collection yeah. of great songs and we're proud of them. Yeah, it sounds like a band that have made an album rather than a band who've sat with and, and been controlled by a, a record company and a strong producer. It, it, does, mm. it sounds like they've come straight out the garage and said, right, here, we're doing these, we'll, we'll work out the order after sort of thing. Right. But uh, yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, you can't beat an album with 14 songs on it. I mean, there's no doubt about that. There'll be lots of, uh, lots of uh, Sisters fans around this same time. It's like they're less <laughs> happy with what they were getting to. <laughs> yeah, and big up to Pat Collier as well, because, uh, you know, the way they work together yeah, yeah. In, in making this wonderful uh, collection of beautiful songs, it takes a good producer to make the vision of what a band have come out how they wanted it to sound, but also in a way that people want to buy it. You know, you've got that compromise between, we've got this vision, we want to be nasty, we want to be this, we want to be that, we want it to sound like that. And he has to help it sound in a way that it's palatable for everyone. And mm. I think everybody wins on this one. Yeah, actually, it'd be fascinating to uh, have been a fly on the wall and seeing if he was uh, smoothing a few a few edges a bit more. I don't know. I, I think through you can hear the sensibilities and the basics of the music that a lot of it is humour. But uh, yeah, I see what you're saying there, Martin. I really do. So yeah, 14 brilliant songs. And of course, there are a few more hanging around at this time, which are rather rather flipping good as well. My mm. my own favourite definitely being Ten Trenches Deep, which is uh, an absolute live monster. More mm. so more so when they had the fiddle player, um mm. the fiddle player resource, if you like, with fiddly for the uh, sort of well, I was going to say the, the the battle at the end, but no, just a rampant do what you want to do fiddly solo, really, over a very simple sort of almost quasi metal riff. Uh, abs- absolutely, absolutely cracking song. Love yeah. playing that live, yeah, to say the least. I think that the, the the live version surpasses the studio version by a king's ransom. To be honest, oh definitely, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely. one of those songs yeah. when you first hear it, it's like, wow, this is a B side. <laughs> yeah, I know. Crazy. I know, I know. You know, yeah. some, sometimes, you know, you get record companies and go, you know, no, no, that should be the A side and the flip it. You know, <laughs> you hear of occasions where that's happened. This was still a B side, but, you know, it wasn't on the album, but I think it's one of a couple of songs that deserve special merit for, mm. you know, the, the fact that it is such a monster life, particularly, and it's of that time. So to, to talk about the album, it would be unfair not to mention this particular song. Absolutely. And the fact that 
they can play it live and people know what it is and it was a b-side to a single from 30 years ago mm. um i mean it's one of those it makes you sick you look at your own output and then go <laughs> you think i put my best songs on this album and then you listen to something you go that was a b-side <laughs> they've no right uh awesome track and it uh, and it's you know it's a, such a, a kind of a dance along thing and also also it's one of those where yeah they, it can be any length they want it to be yeah. live can't it they can keep going round that bit at the end do you know yeah, what word yeah. always comes to me when i hear this it's a stomper it's well it is one of those especially when you get into the, the kind of the fiddly bits when it almost breaks into a reel at times it's mm. one of those things that you get a lot in kind of punk especially and, and kind of uh, heavy and alternative music where you know all these kind of hairy punks and rockers suddenly discover their inner inner folk and suddenly out of nowhere can all do country dancing. Yeah. <laughs> they all want to be Mike Scott again. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of fun. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I guess um I guess Astley and the Astley and the Noose was never going to be uh, something that would be lead title uh, on on an actual album or anything like that uh no i think possibly the record company were kind of pushing miles you know like really really but you know the 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 barbs that he throws out on a regular basis you know this one had to be done and again i'll go to the intelligence of the lyrics but also the humor because that's what a lot of people don't get with miles sometimes He's got such a fantastic sense of humour. You know, the the guy worked with Vic and Bob. You know, oh, he's such a poor face guy. Look at his sense of humour. Listen, listen to that song. You listen to that song and you don't want to smile. You don't want to laugh. But also you don't want to dance. Then, there's, you know, you need a new head. <laughs> Simple as. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely. I heard this around the same time as girlfriend with a co- girlfriend in a coma. So girlfriend in a coma and Ashley in the news. It's not massively, you know, sonically different. But you know, you got one that's like, uh, and you got this one that's just got such proper humour. I mean, like, God bless him, Morrissey did, you know, add some humour, but Miles could just walk him out of the park, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. So yeah. So should we just quickly reference the 20th anniversary re-recording of the album? We don't want to go through it track by track, <laughs> no, no. just as a, as, a, as a kind of a general impression as how we think it stacks up. I mean, because we're pretty much the same crew. We've mentioned Pat Collier, and he was back. I think it's not as produced, but as, as mixer. So, so it's kind of the same studio team back together. But obviously, a different lineup of the band, a different groove to yeah. it. And because I know, was going to say, yeah. it it wasn't it wasn't Gilksy, was it? This no, the, the I didn't think it was. I mean, that no. I don't dislike it, but yeah, I, I tend to listen to the original more. No, I can't remember the oh, guy's Andre. name. It was, it was the no, it was Andre, the American guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was Andre. Yeah, yeah, was it Andre Carew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that what? What number's your copy, Martin? Uh, mine's downstairs. I would think it was one six seven two. I think. Yeah, mine's mine's a thousand and sixty eight. So I, I beat you by uh, nearly six hundred there. Yeah, well, you must. You, you know, you were six hundred <laughs> people before me in the Wonderstuff queue. <laughs> now the later ones are rarer because <laughs> at that point less people were buying them. <laughs> For anyone that hasn't that didn't buy because it was a limited edition issue it is on spotify now for anyone that's got uh, got an interest it is and, yeah, yeah it is. just to say that it's, essentially they went back into the studio and re-recorded the album do we know why i know because the bands you know like def leppard re-recorded hysteria and that's i think 
because they didn't think they were getting paid enough by the record company for it. And they thought, <laughs> yeah, and a bit, uh, let's, yeah. let's make a version we own so we get yeah. all the money. I don't the think dogs, anyone bought it. And right? Tyler did the same with Dogs to More. <laughs> yeah. He, he recorded all his albums. Yeah. Um, because he owns the rights to the songs, but not the recordings. But not the recording, yeah. So by doing that, you can then have product to sell because, let's face it, these are artists who have to make a living. So, you know, if you don't own the rights to the actual songs themselves, uh, so the recordings themselves, you do a version that you think people might like now because that's how you you know yeah. over the years your voice might change a bit you know and the group might change a bit obviously with personnel the sound's going to be different and it's it's interesting to hear the differences uh yeah no, i still prefer the original yeah. but it's was, not it's nice say, to play yeah. The... yeah it's one of those things i'm not being disrespectful to the, the the ladies and gentlemen that were on the uh 20th anniversary edition but that's the definitive article yeah i'm the same right then guys well thank you thank you both for taking part in this inaugural podcast a bit rough around the edges, but that's why I called it off the cuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that it called us rough around the edges. <laughs> it's <been> called worse. <laughs> Very rough. So, um, thank you for listening, kind listeners, and uh, good night wherever you are. Bye. See ya. Good night, though. <laughs>